Welcome to this week's episode of Latchkey Movies, the podcast where we take a critical look at the movies your kids are watching without your supervision. Today, we are going to talk about the 2016 movie Kubo and the Two Strings. My name is Sarah. I am the mom of a four-year-old boy. And I am Briar, and I'm the mom of a 17-year-old girl, an eight-year-old boy, and a two-year-old boy. And I got to tell you, I really did like this movie, mostly. Right, because I had seen this movie before. Yeah, I had never seen this this movie before. So I've watched it twice for this, once all the way through, because let's be real, we're parents here. I am a mother of children. I don't actually even think I saw it really all the way through once, but I did my best. Yeah, you do what you can. (laughs) (laughs) So this is... This movie has a lot we should talk about probably before we get started on the actual plot. Um, Just a couple of things off the top. This movie won the BAFTA, which is the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. Basically the equivalent to the Academy Awards. Oscars, yeah. Uh, it won, so it won the BAFTA for Best Animated Film, I'm guessing. It was nominated for an Academy Award in am- Animation and Best Visual Effects. And it's only the second animated film ever to be nominated for Best Visual Effects. The other is The Nightmare Before Christmas, which makes sense because they're both stop motion. Well, and in terms of that, this movie is absolutely visually stunning oh my god it's like gorgeous just so much about it even like the landscapes and it's just such a pretty movie Um, well and the paperwork is really mm -hmm. my favorite part just watching like the cranes and the little bitty samurai there is just so much with that and they used real origami for that is my understanding that would make sense So that year, the animated film, Best Animated Film Academy Award went to Zootopia. Um, And as a note, Moana was also nominated that year. And then Best Visual Effects went to The Jungle Book, which, I don't know, I feel like it kind of got shafted. (laughs) Man, that's tough because I didn't actually particularly care for the remake I'm not, I'm just not on board with these Disney remakes. Like, I just have no No, but visually, you have to give them visually, it was stunning. There was a lot, I mean, hell, just the in credit sequence alone with the turning of the pages. I've never seen it. Oh, see. (laughs) Yeah. But I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like there is so much more work that goes into a film like this as far as visual effects go, you know? But maybe I'm just not giving enough credit to computer animators. You may not be. I don't know. It feels like the difference in the conversation when we talk about sound versus sound editing and how people don't understand the difference at all. And my guess is there are probably pretty stringent guidelines for what they're looking for when it comes to best visual effects that you and I, the peons, are just not privy to. (laughs) So this is a movie that is 97% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, which is always kind of interesting. Um, I liked, I'm, I'm going to make a point of looking at that now because... That's, that's a good metric for us to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Um, so the company or the production company yeah. is Leica. They, I, this is news to me. I always thought they were a European company. And especially when we get around to talking to the cast, I always just kind of assumed they were a European-based company. But they're actually based in Oregon. And they are named for the Soviet astronaut dog. Okay, sure. And interesting to maybe five other people out there, um, there's... <laughs> There's talk of them adapting Colin Malloy's Wildwood series, which I would be totally on board for, um, for those of you who don't know. Yeah, this means nothing to me. (laughs) Nothing to me. Colin Malloy is the lead singer for the band The Decemberists. (laughs) That name I have heard. Yes. Okay. So his wife is an illustrator, um, and they've done some collaboration 
stuff together. But I think Wildwood is uh, more of like a young adult thing. So I'm not sure as far as like illustration goes. How is much it of a that. novel? Can I, I buy novels. it on Kindle? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's a thing that you'd want to buy on Kindle. Um, well, if it's, I think there's visual, like a, yeah. a visual aspect to it, but I'm not positive because I've never actually read Wildwood. Um, we have one of the books that his wife, um, his wife, illustrated. It's one of my son's favorite books. It's called Do Is Talk. And it's just a bunch of nonsense. Like it's it's um, well, it's like a story of bugs which actually relates to this um and they speak in their own language but like you can tell what they're trying to say just based on the it's really cute it's a great book um it's i feel like there was a star trek episode about that (laughs) but i'm in fact i'm sure there was at least one star trek episode about that i can think of a deep space nine episode right now where Yes. Okay. It's fine. So just because I didn't say it, I I, I hate that I referred to her as Colleen. His Malloy's wife. wife thank for the you. Whole thing. I was gonna call you <laughs> on that. I so was gonna call I'm you just, on that. I'm just so much more familiar with him than I am her. But her name is Carson Ellis. Okay. In thank case you. you were wondering. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that book, Do Is Talk, it has a Caldecott honor. So. I'm not just the only one out there who thinks it's a good book. <laughs> hey, so we're about to get to the cast now. And I just thank you for looking up Art Parkinson for me because I meant to do this because I usually, the rest of them are mostly known. Right. But so he is, for you people who care about such things, uh, is it Rickon? Rickon? That's how I, I, I said know. it in my head when I was reading the books. I He's th- so I, the voice of Kubo is the child actor who played Rickon Stark in Game, Game of, of Thrones. Game of Thrones, which neither Sarah or I watched. No, because, I watched all of Game oh, of Thrones. Oh, did you watch all of Game of Thrones? <laughs> oh. Yep, no, I watched it all, read some of the books, gave up because there's too many characters. The books are terrible. The books are really, um, that's a a rant for another day. It's not my thing. I'm not really like a high fantasy person. I am a high fantasy person, and I will tell you those books are terrible, but that is a rant for another day. (laughs) So, the casting of him as Kubo really baffles me. Mm Mm-hmm. And that opens up like the bigger issue that that we need all, to talk about here. It's so, all white actors. <laughs> let's let's run through. We have Charlize Theron as Monkey. Uh, is it Sariatu? I only heard I don't, it. I don't remember them having said I, I her name enough I for me to remember. Right, but she's Kubo's Monkey mother. and Mom. Yeah, and Matthew McConaughey as Beetle Hanzo, Kubo's father, and Ray Fien. Is it Ray Fiennes? 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 I believe Thank it's you. Fiennes. I think it's Fiennes. I'm staring at it, and I'm like, all these vowels <laughs> as the Moon King, Kubo's grandfather. And then we have Rooney Mara as both the sisters, who are apparently Karasu and Washi. And I know we didn't hear either one of their names. Yeah, I do not remember hearing those names. But there we go. We have an entirely white main, main cast. cast. And... In the show notes, we'll link an article from Vulture that discussed this kind of, sort of, not in a great way. The director asserts that because we're not talking about live action and we're just talking about voices, that we don't see color. He then goes on to say that the real characters with bunny rabbit ears here were mostly voiced by asian actors meaning the people who don't appear as a non-human for most of the film the the non-gods right except that that doesn't wash Mm -mm. because hanzo is supposed to be human and then we have george takai who could just as easily have been the moon king and i feel like the only reason he was in there at all was so we could hear him say oh my 
And I'm just, I'm annoyed by this. Mm -hmm. Like, the movie is great. It just kills me about this movie because I think it's such a good movie. The story is fantastic. And there is so much about this as parable or legend. However, I'm sure there is actually basis for this story that I am not historically familiar with. You know, I looked and I can't find... Really? Okay. Like, I'm feel I, I just about assumed that, maybe I it was like a legend. Up, yeah, I beyond there but couldn't being, find anything. Right. So beyond these, like Raiden and the the idea that these are characters in mythology ish, mm-hmm. this does not appear to be like a story. Okay. But I could be completely wrong. Um, As we I so not... often are, <laughs> feel free to correct yes, us on you, this. Just based on the searching I did around this movie, I didn't find anything that said Kubo and the Two Strings is based on this mythological tale. No, and I, I didn't find that. anything either. So, But it seems like such a rich story that I can't believe that that's the case. <laughs> what we're saying is, it doesn't seem like a Hollywood studio could just right. pull this one out of their asses yeah. without stealing it from somebody else. So, have you seen any other Leica movies? Um, I think that I have, but... They did... Um... They definitely did The Box Trolls and Paranorman. Oh, Paranorman, Uh, I've seen. Okay. At least peripherally, I've seen Paranorman. I think the kids really liked it. And they did Coraline. I was pretty sure about that. And I've seen Coraline. And then they they did the recent film, Missing Link. That's one of the many Yeti movies that came out this year. (sighs) No, it's not hit my radar yet. I'm a big fan fan of Leica. Um, I think we own all of their movies. Like, I just really like them. But that all comes from a pre-parenting like mm-hmm. of animated films. So it was. this was the first one I think we I watched with my four-year-old. And this was the first time we did it in preparation for this movie, or for this podcast. Um, I would typically say that they tend to tend towards an older child audience. Yeah, that doesn't honestly surprise me. We prepared um, our son by, we were eating birthday cake while we ate the, watch this one. (laughs) To kind of like, (laughs) to kind of like counteract the creepy parts. (laughs) Sugar to make the creepy go away. I love it. (laughs) You know, so the, the eight-year-old has ADHD, so he's always in and out, but he actually quite enjoyed this movie. Yeah. The two-year-old sat pretty still for this one. Yeah. And the 17-year-old, who is autistic, um, was making commentary at the TV, which means she quite enjoyed it. She was involved. Very involved. So, yeah, this this one really did well with my kids, and... And as a story, I really personally am very enamored, even though I knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. So we start at the very beginning with Kubo and his mother. And Kubo takes care of her during the day. They're not really very clear on what happens as she's fleeing to the island, she obviously, she gets a head injury of some kind. Mm-hmm. They're not clear on what the head injury is, but it's obvious it affects her memory mm-hmm. because she only remembers certain th- And they're not clear if this is about her magic either, which is why this so feels to me like an older story right. that we don't have quite all of the information They're for. not bashing you over the head with that information. Mm-hmm. They're... Leaving it to you that as was an a audience. Terrible. Uh, that oh, was terrible. Was, that was, was really terrible. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> They're leaving it to you as the audience member to like infer. 
mm-hmm. you know, and it's not clear. And I don't know, is it necessary that it be clear? I don't think so. I don't know? think so. I don't need you to tell me exactly why this is the case. No. Um, that whole scene of him taking care of his mom just like guts me. Like, oh yeah, it, just, it is. My heart utterly is heart wrenching. So he's just so lonely. <laughs> Right? And so sweet. Yeah. I mean, like, I. So, Kubo's 12. And obviously, his mother has had, we assume, some help from the village. I mean, she could certainly not have raised him to this state alone. So, my thought on her current state. I thought it may have more to do with her being removed from, like, the god realm or whatever. Now, that's interesting, so, and I can I can go with you on that headcanon, definitely. So, it being more of, like, a degenerative thing. Like, mm-hmm. when they first arrived on the island, she was fully capable of taking care of an infant. And so, this is something that maybe more happened over time, and as he's gotten older, Kubo's had to take on more. That would explain why she's more alert at night Mm -hmm. because that's when she's closest to the heavens and the god state we'll call that and maybe also kind of why they choose to live in a cave in a mountain right (laughs) so i'm gonna go with that okay it helps me understand things better. Okay, that's that, that's certainly better than the abject poverty explanation that I was going to go with for the cave in the mountain, that the villagers just kind of took pity on them, but they were, in fact, poor beggars. I like your version better. All right, we'll I, I like your version better. So, Kubo tells the story of his father, Hanzo. I don't think he really advertises that this is his father when he's telling the story to the villagers. And it's, I don't think he really advertises the magic, but obviously the magic of the origami is there. And Mm -hmm. that is what's been feeding them. Like his ability to take the paper and tell the stories is what, has people leaving coins at the end of the day that allows him to go home and feed his mother. So we have we have that whole exchange with Kubo's mom and uh, Mr. Monkey, <laughs> the little totem. As a magical representation, God, I am so in love with this. Like... When we talk about totems in magic, this is basically what we're talking about. It's something that is with you constantly that you give of your life to, right? Okay. And then it becomes a symbolic representation mm-hmm. of whatever it is, the thing. In Modern magical practices, totems like this can be used to keep track of, like, I have little things that are on my kids' keychains so that I can kind of feel it if I focus on it. But these are, you know, woo-woo things. (laughs) That is not a woo-woo that I've gotten into. But I see what you're saying. I mean, it makes sense that something that people put, like, love and, you know, are with would hold something of them. Well, and very likely she carved it herself. So there's a lot of emblematic magic in, in the fact that we've created something with our own hands. And then she, as she made it, she in bibed it with her life force basically Mm -hmm. in magical tradition there's probably some blood involved in Mm -hmm. that crafting of the whether it was intentional or not well and with wood (laughs) it's generally it doesn't matter it's you bleed anyway when you're doing woodwork but yeah so she's telling him that he always has to have monkey with him and that he can't go out at night and what's the third rule? Oh, that he always has to wear his father's robes. Yeah, she calls it robes, right? Right. Okay. 
What are we at? But that would actually be a kimono, right? That's... I have no idea, and I'm not even going to get involved. Because there's, like, that whole controversy with uh, Kim Kardashian was going to start a new, like intimate wear line and call it kimono and like people got all up in arms and I just kind of stopped paying attention to what a kimono is. <laughs> I, I believe a kimono is a ceremonial Japanese robe. Okay. I I could be wrong. I'm going to just defer to you on that one. I do think that Western culture kind of forgets that Eastern culture exists separate. Like, I, in college, I took Western Civ. When I asked about Eastern Civ, and this was 20 years ago, so it's gotten a little bit better, but when I asked about Eastern Civilization, I got, well, that's a different class, and we don't offer it here. At the time, it was offered at about five universities in the country. I'm sure it's better now, but we don't really talk about Eastern Civilization like it just we just like to pretend that it doesn't exist or something it's very baffling to me that's really yeah i mean that's interesting and i don't know i'm I'm not i wonder why that is like i wonder why that came to be that we just this is this and this is this and you're gonna learn this because you're in north america and you're not gonna learn this because whatever we care we care about rome and constantinople but yeah (laughs) you know we get we get into china and it's like i don't want to touch that (laughs) whatever okay so while we're not touching it and we're whitewashing it god i'm really this is terrible making you salty about it isn't it it really is making me salty about it and it's such a good story so i'm trying to separate that but they have the what I'm a bon festival and tell me Wikipedia what's a bon festival? It is a Japanese Buddhist custom to to honor the spirits of one's ancestors. Um, the festival of Obon lasts for three days. Uh, the starting date varies within different regions of Japan. And when the lunar calendar was changed to the Gregorian calendar, which is what we all use, um, the localities reacted differently. So it's celebrated on the 15th of July and the 15th of August and on the 15th day of the seventh lunar month which is going to be variable depending upon the lunar calendar so So, summer but yes midsummer which is a good time to have these kinds of conversations at dark and in fact there's other cultural precedent for this midsummer night so, but it seems to me like this, it's interesting that this type of lantern and honoring the dead situation keeps coming up in these movies that we're talking about. We have like, we have a shelved episode for <laughs> Coco. It was the first one we recorded together. Because we were not- trying it out. Someday we'll either re-record it or we'll try and salvage what we have there. Sarah is convinced she can salvage it. <laughs> I am convinced we will have to re-record. We'll let you decide. I just, I like the, the, the theme of honoring the dead that keeps coming up in things like this movie and Coco and even to an extent entangled I feel like mm-hmm. the the whole lantern the lanterns festival. yeah and I have to say I think that it's because we don't have those traditions yeah oh I was absolutely gonna say that like because I'm... we have nothing like this I've talked about I mean, this well no we have nothing you, like as a Catholic, you go and light a candle. For, okay, like, if loved you're a ones. Catholic, but well. that's that's <laughs> there's still no cultural, cultural ritual, right. and we are 
we seem to be really lagging behind on this one. So when my third son died, he was stillborn, I did a lot of research on this. And we have nothing. Like in Mexico, they use little tiny sugar skulls on during Dia de Muertos. There's, it's actually a three-day festival. There's one day specifically devoted to the lost children. Mm-hmm. In Japan, there are markers in cemeteries where you can go and leave flowers and stuffed animals for your lost children, mm-hmm. regardless of when you lose them. And that seems to be what... like. Mine was a full-term loss, mm-hmm. and so I have a death certificate. Mm-hmm. In some states, I would have gotten a birth certificate. I did not get any such documentation. I got a... Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. And even in the paperwork, it's a thing. In this country, we don't honor those that we've lost and we're terrible about mm-hmm. grief as a rule we're awful about people who have lost loved ones and how we should honor the grieving process and we mostly just ignore it mm-hmm. and it manifests itself in really remarkable ways and i don't think it's great to be right. honest yeah yeah it is it is interesting to me that they're you know these are the the remembering of past loved ones is such a cornerstone for so many other cultures and just something we totally overlook i would say almost religiously we overlook it right so the idea here then was for Kubo to light his lantern and be able to speak with his dead fa- well his dead father. We know, spoilers, that it, the light ter- lantern didn't light because his father wasn't dead, at right. least not then. And so but he was out after dark, which, which is allowed rule one yeah, rule number one, out after dark, and now his aunts have been able to locate him. His aunts are creepy, by the so way. So creepy. Um, the way, their weird, like, voice, if you've ever ridden the haunt- Haunted Mansion in Disney, in either of the Disney parks, actually, I don't know, it's in, like, multiple Disney parks, there is a character called the Bride in the Haunted Mansion, and she kind of, like, talks to you at one point in the ride and her voice is creepy too and they sound exactly like that and every time i'm watching this i'm like "Ah." (laughs) well and because of the masks you can't see their mouths move right which makes it even like uh, i don't know so they they go to i guess blind Kubo. I mean, there's a lot of violence in this Mm -hmm. one, and I'm not sure this one's really for a younger crowd, although how did he do? He was so, like, distracted, I think, by other things that it never really That it never mattered. Yeah. At this point, it didn't matter. And the eight-year-old was in and out enough, but my suspicion is if the eight-year-old had actually sat down and watched this one, he would not, and maybe that's why he was in and out. He was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to watch a scary right. movie. Right. That's what I'm thinking too, like consciously or subconsciously. He's not paying uh, attention uh, uh, to it because it's a little too there, creepy. Well, but and, also like dialogue and story heavy. So mm-hmm. that will always kind of make him lose attention to when your action's not like nonstop. And right. Um, Technicolor. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is basically the opposite of Angry Birds. Basically. In in every way, Mm -hmm. this is the opposite of Angry Birds. So, Kubo's mom gives him the wings, and then she, I guess, turns herself into the monkey, but we don't see any of that. Right. What we see is 
Kubo and the monkey waking up in... So, again, I'm assuming... Are we in Japan here? So, so. like, mountainous highlands. Yeah. The problem with, honestly... And, and and this is just my own thing, but the problem with the white cast is that when I don't hear some kind of accent mm-hmm. to help me, to help guide me to a region, yeah. I don't actually have one in my brain. Right. And so then the fact that, like, Kubo is voice acted by a character or an actor with, like, a an Irish accent... And mom and dad, Hanzu and Hanzo and Monkey, <laughs> Beetle and Monkey, right. are, well, I guess Charlize Theron is South African, right? But, like, to listen to her, right? I just hear American You accent, hear white personally. American Like, lady. I don't hear That's an accent hear. there. You hear white and, American lady. Just, right. Just be real about it. It's and then Matthew American McConaughey lady. is American. So, like... All right. Yeah. <laughs> so the Irish accents in this really stick out to me because I'm American. You know, Rafe Fiennes is English. Mm-hmm. And what, Rooney Mara, is she Irish or is she English? Uh, nope, she's American. She's American. <laughs> I had no idea. I just assume with a name like Rooney Mara, you're like, It's a reasonable here. assumption that she probably <laughs> actually is Irish even though she is... Well, her sister is Kate, and so Rooney and Kate just makes me assume Irish. It's, again... Anyways, what do I know? Well, Mara's pretty... Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) But, yeah, I just... And so I don't have the reference I need to kind of put geography into my brain about where the story is while it's taking place. And so that we have talked about this, I think, in Happy Feet, where when you get a bunch of actors with a varied assortment of natural accents and when do you when you choose to not let them use their accent and when you choose to use their natural accent like it just really makes it difficult for me too when you have like when am i just assuming that this person speaking with an english accent is english or this person speaking with an american accent is american and when am i assuming that now now they're Japanese. <laughs> and while that may got and, and you say that and I'm and I'm over here nodding like yeah. a bobblehead over here. It seems like it doesn't matter because it's animation, but in fact it matters a great deal. And it's why we haven't done Moana yet, but it is in fact what makes Moana so very powerful for me. All of those characters belong there. Those mm-hmm. voice I, I mean, even The Rock, who is yeah. as American as they come, but that's his heritage. And right. man, you can hear it. You can hear it when he sings. He's proud of it. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a connection to the material that that's making me a little emotional even talking about it that doesn't exist here. So and I think that's where we were really hurt with this movie on the so-called blind casting because like yeah, it's not a face actor that we're looking at. It's an animated character, but we're losing that in this movie. Mhm. And what is very clearly powerful powerful mm-hmm. mythology a very strong story whether it's actual mythology or not it's you've got that it's an emotional story right okay so we wake up in the blizzard we go to the whale and then we have the little new paper Hanzo who takes us to meet Beetle. Who is... I mean, and it's... 
I have a hard time with this because Matthew McConaughey was pretty good as the amnesiac, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. he does that space cadet well. I just right. Like I, I like Charlize Theron. I think uh, the the kid who does Kubo, they all do a very good oh, job. Great. Because that's always a thing, too, where when you bring just famous people in to do voice acting work, they're not always adapted to getting emotion through in voice alone. And I think they all do a great job in that. I mean, I emotionally, I am invested in this story, mm-hmm. but... But I am separated from it because it is just not quite right, right. vocally. Yeah. So... All right, so we meet uh, Beetle, and I I don't know. I knew the second Beetle appeared who he was. Right, that he was. That he is Hanzo, right. Yeah. And I don't don't remember, because it's, you know, I watched it and then I didn't watch it, and I have, I don't remember if that, like, reveal was revealing or if you're just going through the movie knowing i think maybe that's one where age matters yeah because it was a surprise to the older children it was not a surprise to me because i could so clearly map out where this was going right so we didn't talk about it in when we when they first arrive in when monkey and kubo are in that shelter and they're drinking tea i thought that was such a great scene because at least knowing that monkey was the mom it was almost a reverse of the scene from the beginning of the movie when hanzo mm-hmm. is feeding his mom rice mm-hmm. and i just like it was almost like i was so relieved for hanzo or for kubo to finally have a mom who was going to like make sure he drank his tea that that stern <laughs> yeah. mothering conversation. Right. Because how and, we've all had that conversation with well, our kid, right? You get three questions. Yeah. Well, and what does he say? I can't even remember. I can't remember either. But it's a bad question. And <laughs> she's like, that's one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That That's... It was really... It was a great scene there. That's life. And I did... You do really value the interactions that Kubo right. gets to, ha- and, and maybe maybe because you know, as the right. parent, you know that these are his parents that he's interacting with, and that meal that they have on the boat mm-hmm. with the fish mm-hmm. is really when eating this. Yeah, <laughs> they're both Beetle and Kubo are stuffing their faces with. Oh the fish. yeah, I mean. <laughs> That that one that one certainly had me going there. Yeah, which is so, why I say I don't think for me it was not a shocker at yeah. any point in time. But again, I think maybe it's because this one is done in a way that's layered for the kids and the sure. parents. Okay. Um, I thought it was interesting that Monkey and Kubo's mom have both have eye scars, but they're on different sides. And yeah. I don't know why that would be. There's, it's got to be intentional. Like it wasn't like accidental. No, that's very deliberate. And so I'm, I'm curious to know if anybody has any theories about why that might be. Give us a call. No, at... I can tell you exactly why that oh. is. Because when she made the totem, oh, she, she was marked yeah. it as she was looking You're at right. it. That's a good one. I like it. All right, and. Then, okay, so we have Kubo, Monkey, Beetle finding, we find the sword first, and then we build the leaf boat Mm -hmm. to go get the breastplate, Impenetrable, such great names, Mm -hmm. in the deep underwater. See, and there again, like the long lake, I can't, in my mind, can't imagine where that would be geographically. Mm-hmm. Is there? Can you see it on your globe? Y- you guys are missing this. This really <laughs> is quite the image of me. Oh yeah, I've got this globe two inches from my face, 
But no, I can't see anything resembling a long lake in Japan. But I suppose it could be a strait or something, right? Like, it doesn't necessarily yeah, have to I be... Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be big enough to show up on a globe, right? Because you mean, can get some pretty big lakes that aren't going to show up on a globe. Can well, you see the you, Great Lakes on that globe? You can see the Great Lakes, <laughs> but they're not... Relatively, they're not very big. Yeah. So... So you can get a body of water that wouldn't appear on a globe. Sure. <laughs> With our very high tech, um, so high tech. look into Japanese uh, <laughs> geography. You guys just got don't even know what you're missing here. <laughs> okay, so we cross the long lake, or well, we don't cross it. We get the we get the breastplate first, and then there's the eye creatures, also creepy. Terrifying. My God, those were so bad. Like I was a little bit like. Do we have to have big giant floating <laughs> eyes? Oh, and look, that must be the big giant mouth that we're being sucked down into. Do we? Uh, terrifying indeed. Gashadokuru. Is that the eye monster? No, that's the starving skeleton. Oh, that's the starving it skeleton. It literally means starving skeleton. Well, there you go. They take the form of giant skeletons who are 15 times taller than an average person. There's so much stuff here that, yeah. That, I, it's just, I can't believe that this isn't based on, I mean, it, all this, all the stuff is Japanese mythology. But this story, as far as I can tell, is not. But if you know that it is no better based please. On, please absolutely contact us because this is really like it's blowing my mind i yeah, <laughs> i i really like to give credit where credit is due here and not that i don't you know if okay let's look who story by shannon tyndall and mark hines shannon tyndall wrote Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Oh my god, I love that cartoon. Such a it's good such cartoon. such a good cartoon. Uh, she also worked as a character designer on the Emoji Movie, which wow. places her a little less wow. high. Wow. <laughs> I was, you were so high. I was just like, you were up there. And, and the no. Crudes... Uh, let's see. TV shows include The Fairly Odd Parents. She did do one episode of Samurai Jack. Um, she did the Powerpuff Girls movie. But she was... Uh, surely there's got to be more to this story here. I just... I'm feeling very fish out of water about that's it. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's just, and, and I know that so much of that is just because there is so little original story in kids' animation these days. Like, there's just not. There isn't. It, it just doesn't exist. Everything is sequels or based on a book or based on something else. And when those rare gems pop up, we have a couple this season. We have this one. We have Wreck-It Ralph, which I also feel is kind of a gem of a story mm -hmm. in the way that it explores, like, it just the aspect of living inside a video game. The, the rest of the story is fairly predictable, but that part is pretty unique. I, uh, this one is just great. All right, but we're, 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 we're not even halfway through this movie. <laughs> this movie is a love story between a monkey and a beetle. That's really... <laughs> if anybody asks you to explain this movie, say, it's a love story between a monkey and a beetle. Which is... Because there's like that that little scene where they're traveling, mm -hmm. and it's like they they're falling in love, 
well, and because Hanzo, Hanzo we doesn't know, know. well, but do you think Monkey knows? She obviously doesn't because when her sisters come and find them at the temple, they laugh about her not knowing okay. that that they that Hanzo is the beetle. Okay. So, but. But what it means then, I suppose, in that really picturesque, romantic way, is that they fell in love twice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sweet. Right. And she fell in love with a beetle. Well, he fell in love with a monkey, so, you know. <laughs> a stag beetle. Which is like, such I, a weird beetle. I know. Those <laughs> horns are really something else, aren't they? Which I guess it was his, his, what do we call that? Oh, his, the device. We call that his device, I think, is the name of that, his shield device. And so they just turned him into the beetle. All right. Oh, you mean like that was the image on his... Yeah, his crest. Like his crest, standard? Standard, maybe. Yeah, I, 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 I actually, I do feel like device is the right technical okay. term, but I could be wrong. I am often, always wrong. So, all right. So then we have the whole scene at the fortress with the sisters and then everybody dies like i mean oh, i know it's so sad <laughs> you know and i will note that neither of the boys were paying any attention to this one yeah and my daughter was doing one of those hands over her face yeah. things this is not I, I mean this movie's a little bit rough for the younger crowd yeah. i think i i honestly i'd say officially we'll do this later but i'm already gonna put a number on it now eight is probably the youngest that i mm -hmm. would say to consciously watch this movie and tens probably better so, so when a uh, beetle or Hanzo is dying and he says, you are my quest. I know, right? That made All me the think tears. Of, it made me think of Entangled. When yeah. Flynn Rider is dying, he says, you were my new dream. You were my new dream. <laughs> There's something feminist to be said there about men and their quests being women, but whatever. I'll... I'll overlook it at this moment in time. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that rant another day, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure the opportunity will come up where I can just be all over that one. And I'll just be over here, but it's so romantic. It, it is. <laughs> it's also just... I know, I know, I know. I know. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... We've got everybody dead now, and then Kubo flies away. With his last string. With his last string. And does he get, does he get a hair from his father? Because he gets something from the father. He, he, okay, here is. Is it a piece of the... No, it's, it's his bowstring. It's his oh. father's bowstring. Oh, the okay. beetle wouldn't have hair, but he has yeah. the hair from his mother. And then he has his father's bowstring. And then, okay. So we take that, he twines it around his wrist, and then we go back to the village so that he can get the helmet. Because mm -hmm. it's the bell. Because it's the bell. And then, which begs the question, if she knew it was there all along, or if they just Maybe. happened to be there, that's a pretty mighty big coincidence, isn't it? I'm going to guess she knew it was there all along, and that may be why she picked that place that location. to begin with. And then it's just one of those things where, you know, there's nothing we can do about it until you're older anyways, so, mm -hmm. and then I lost my memory. 
and because that would make sense if the memory was fading Mm -hmm. right because it does seem like I, I, yeah, I'm. I'm really. I'm. I'm accepting of your theory a hundred percent with that Making, piece of it's information. Holding more water as yeah. we go, <laughs> which is great because my theory is bad. Like, <laughs> not happy in bad kind yeah. of. All right. So then he tells the villagers to leave, and he does what what happens so does the moon king oh because it gets dark he tells the villagers to leave and it gets dark and then the moon king shows up Mm -hmm. it's kind of causes destruction it's it's difficult to deal with the rather un I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, but you can't like change the tides or the moon. It, mm-hmm. It's always going to be gonna there. Always going to be nighttime at some it's point. Always going to be nighttime. There's always going to be a full moon at some point in time. And so the moon beast, moon beast, the moon beast. Oh, that would be after the the Dunkelos. <laughs> I'm terrible with this Dunkleosteus. Kind of Dunkleosteus is is what I'm gonna go with, but don't quote me on that. It's like a um, an extinct placoderm fish. Okay. So it was a thing that was on the Earth at some point, which is terrifying, right? <laughs> My God, because that thing, of all the things that are terrifying in this movie, that thing is by far the most, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the worm creature in The Wrath of Khan, that like, I I have nightmares about that still. I, I wasn't very old when The Wrath of Khan came out, and my parents were both die hard trekkies and so they dragged me to the theater and i think i am honestly still scarred from watching the little worm thing go (laughs) into Chekhov's ear oh Ah. god (laughs) all right so we have this creepy yes thing and kubo says he's gonna kill it and then he, so he restrings his guitar with his mother's Which hair and the bowstring and his own lock of hair. So the guitar is a representation of his family. Mm-hmm. And then he summons the spirits of the villagers' loved ones. And they are, I think this is the first time they're actually visible. Like, mm-hmm. we don't see them before. I think the idea is that they're there. Right. But they're there in spirit. Mm-hmm. Kubo brings them to life. Mm-hmm. And because of that collective power, they have the ability then to beat back the moon beast. And then... Then we get into the really creepy part where we gaslight the old man into good behavior. Oh, I thought that was so sweet that, like, the villagers were all like, you are the nicest man in this village. And then the little girl's like, and you always give us gold coins. And (laughs) Kubo in the Two Strings 2 is the daily gaslighting of the Moon King into being a good person. Because that's my question. Can you force someone into goodness in this way? I mean, he's lost his memory. Yeah. Can he actually be... A good person on top A good of that. person. Well, if it's like what happened with um, Kubo's mom, and he continues to like be removed from the God world, He's, then maybe. M- maybe. <laughs> but... I really like that part of the movie. It makes me fun. It makes me cry. <laughs> oh, it made me all weepy too. The but there's the cynic like, in me I going, know. but this is actual. I mean, when we talk about gaslighting, this yes, is literal is. <laughs> gaslighting. You're a 
good person. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But I just thought it was so sweet of the villagers to be like, instead of being like, oh, my God, we need to run this crazy man out of town, regardless of the fact okay. that he's like helpless That's at this point in time. They're like, no, you are just the nicest old man in this village, and your grandson is adorable. <laughs> I, I sometimes I really appreciate the takes that you have on these things <laughs> because I'm just going to be a cynic over here. I mean, I'm a very cynical person a lot of the time. But, you know, throw something into animated form, and I'm just like, I'm Pollyanna. <laughs> I, so, I'm not even going to lie. Like, I started bawling before his parents showed up. Oh, when up. his parents show up? Oh, my God. Oh. This movie was really... So, man, I'm just so conflicted about this one. It's just... And... We end with uh, Regina Spector while my guitar gently weeps. That's such a great so cover. Good. So good. And perfect for this movie. Really is perfect. I mean, it's very emblematic of the story. I just so in love with all of this. Yeah. And then at the end, they show that great clip of the animation of the skeleton scene. Oh, I missed it. Was there? Yeah, it's during the credits, like after, probably after the cover of Well, My Guitar Gently Weeps. Yeah. They show, it's a sped up version of the way the the, um, skeleton scene is animated. And it's, it shows you the scale and just how enormous the set has to be for something like that. I'll, I'll go back for that because I want to see that now. That's... There's also a GIF uh, that's like recently made the rounds on Reddit of the animation of when Monkey is uh, fighting on yes, the boat. Yes, I saw that. And that they talk about so how, cool. how they actually lit that scene to get the glints of light off of the sword during it instead of like animating that in it's really interesting i just like the whole concept of the way these movies are animated is just i can't the scope of it is just so well and stop motion is at its heart like i feel like it's still doing what animation was intended Mm -hmm. to do there's something about it when it's when each scene is hand drawn or hand created that is significantly different in feel from the computer generated stuff it's just you know and we saw this lesson i mean we grew up with this lesson with Mm -hmm. aladdin was the first movie that had computer generated animation in it as an animated picture Mm -hmm. and while those sequences even then were really pretty remarkable what made that movie was the hand-drawn sequences Mm -hmm. of genie dancing yeah robin williams i mean that's you can't you a, a computer can't do that stuff. I know. Com- it's never going to be as amazing as what we can what kind of life we can give to the sure, stop motion. But I would say that something like the Lego movie which is absolutely a computer animated film. Yes, but stop motion. <laughs> stop no, motion. But it's, it's not. It's not, but it's well, the, the end that. sequence right. is, but it was designed, but because it was designed to have that feel to it, I don't know, it does definitely feel more like stop motion than yeah. a traditional computer animated. But is that just because computer animation is getting so good that you can animate something that would ever would have previously been done as stop motion so it's so realistic that that's that's just the touch point we have for it that to us it feels like stop motion because it's so realistic with something that 
could potentially have been done that way. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I think I can go with you on that because like part of what makes the Lego movie, I mean, just even in the beginning, as you're going in and you're looking at the lava and you can see like Mm -hmm. the little divots. the details. But you and I both know that those aren't actually real, that they were, right? So... So I think I'm going to argue that really good computer animation can still be really good. Okay. But a lot of the times it's not really good. And <laughs> but that happens with any other animation. I'm sure there's it happens a, a with any ton animation. Of crappy and stop motion and a ton of crappy inked animation. But we just don't, we're not watching that crap, right? Well, no, we are watching that crap. Well, unfortunately, you and I are watching <laughs> that crap. You and I have to endure that crap. We endure it for you people. I'll gratitude. You. I, I we, expect We endure gratitude. it because we hope one day our podcast is so big that we get to be the lucky recipients of one of the amazing Leica um, marketing packages that they send out when they make a new movie okay do tell do tell when i know when they did paranorman they sent out so paranorman is about zombies right okay in case you haven't seen it they sent out packages that were like the size of say a shoebox, and they were full-on built um wooden boxes like a crate like a crate a wooden crate and inside were pieces from the movie and a full zombie like everybody got a full zombie um and so they do stuff like that for all of their movies and like someday like uh there you go that that's that's the dream right there (laughs) we want we want a wooden zombie yeah so cool (laughs) i do I do think that that helps them gain traction. Oh, I'm sure. Right? I mean, there's so much in Hollywood right now. Even in children's animation. (laughs) Right. There's there's a lot of noise. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of noise in every industry. And that's how you stand out and differentiate. You also stand out and differentiate. And I'm just saying... By hiring the cast that is appropriate to the story that you are trying to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Do we want to go ahead and rate this movie off that conversation? Because... Yeah, let's. um, (laughs) Out of five... I I would have given this a five, but I have to knock it to a four Mm -hmm. because I can't stop thinking about that when I'm watching this movie. No. It's so, it's so jarring for mm-hmm. me. And I really, I wanted to love this movie. And I, you know, and I knew kind of peripherally about the scandal beforehand. And I had done, because I'm terrible about spoilers, I'd done the show notes mm-hmm. beforehand. So, you know, I, but I don't think... I just, I don't think it would have mattered. I think Mm -hmm. I could have gone into this, well, blind, and still have known that I was not getting the depth that should have been brought to this story by actors who cared about it. And Mm -hmm. ultimately, that's what it comes down to for me. When you are connected to the story, you hear that. When all I have is your voice, what you say and how you say it matters. Mm-hmm. And when you have a connection to it, I can hear that. Mm-hmm. When it's just a good story, it doesn't resonate at the same frequency. And so, yeah, I'm going to go three and a half because while I am honestly in love with it as a story and I wish that modern storytelling for kids had this level of depth Mm -hmm. I can't embrace it the way that I want to because it's just not quite right but it did have its moments and it certainly was a four out of five for me on the blubberability scale like I was 
cheery in a good number of places. I mean, that's there. It's just... So let's talk about, since we're talking about not getting it right, can you wear this Halloween costume? I want to. But you can't. (laughs) I can't. You cannot. I cannot. I can't dress up as mom. Can you be monkey? Sure. Yeah. Can Can I be a beetle? Sure. Okay. I think you could, yeah. I, I, I think monkey and beetle are acceptable characters to to dress up as what about one of the sisters i think that's a little more problematic honestly okay because they are because when we especially when we're talking about the sisters and the moon king we're talking about ancient shinto gods here we're not talking about movie characters anymore we're talking about real gods and when we dress as gods i feel like we should at least have some awareness of what that means and for halloween costumes we just don't that's not what that that that's another argument for another day perhaps but uh, but how we celebrate halloween is not for the remembrance of our gods Mm -hmm. so if that's not what you're doing it for, I would not wear any of those costumes. No. But monkey? Sure. You want to dress as a monkey? Fine. Pick some bugs out of your fur. Go to town. It's it's great. All right. I think that's it for us this week. We are... Everywhere at Latchkey Movies, you can find us on our website at latchkeymovies.com. And if you have commentary or corrections for this one, we really would appreciate a note. That is latchkeymovies at gmail.com. Or you can call us at 402-885-4875. We really do like having appropriate context for things. So please, if you know what we've screwed up, let us know. And that's it for us this week. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. See you next week. Bye.